If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we've studied, uh, we're about halfway through, maybe a little bit more than halfway through our study of 1 Thessalonians. And we're in uh, chapter 3 this morning. We'll finish up with chapter 3. It's on page 987 if you're following, following, following along in your uh, Pew Bible. 987. Well, there's a couple different ways that uh, you can define the term Christian. There's a couple different ways that you can identify a Christian. Um, of course, Christians are people that have faith in Christ, people uh, who believe in Jesus for salvation, uh, and Christians are those that, uh, that attend a Christian church uh, and who fellowship with Christian people. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can identify and define what a Christian is, but uh, there is perhaps an even better way to identify what a Christian is, or if even you are a Christian, and this is kind of a litmus test for yourself to find out if you are indeed a Christian, and it's this, look at your prayer life. Now, praying, praying is not unique to Christianity, and, well, every religion pray, in every religion, every person who practices any religion is going to be a prayerful person. And I hope you understand that, that prayer is not unique to Christianity. It's not a question of whether or not you pray, uh, but it is a question of whether, of who you pray to, first of all, and what you pray about. Um, Everyone prays, but the thing that distinguishes Christians from non-Christians is who you pray to and what you pray about. And the Bible has a lot to say about the one whom we pray to, the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the Son, asking for things through the Son and praying for certain things through the Son. That's who we pray to. But what we pray about is really, really important as well and is helpful for us to understand who it is we are as Christians. Um, very often it's in our prayer life we'll pray for things like our health, we will pray for wealth or prosperity for ourselves or for others. Um, and we'll pray for our circumstances to change. But in the scriptures, and especially as you read through Paul's letters, Paul's prayer life, uh, that is very much uh, in the fore, uh, because all of his letters are really prayers, he shows us what he is praying for and indeed what we should be praying for as Christians. Okay. So uh, I want to read this for us. Uh, We're going to see uh, some things in here that are just very illuminating for us. Verses 6 through 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you today. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see see you face to face and to supply what is lacking in your faith. 
Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your own hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you for uh, your servant Paul, who teaches us how to pray and what to pray for. And we pray that you would help us to understand this word and be challenged by it, to be exhorted in it, and also encouraged in it, so that we might glorify Christ more and more. We pray this in his name. Amen. So I want to look at this passage in three ways. Uh, First of all, I want you to see in verses 6 through 9 the joy that Paul has for what the Thessalonians have. So joy for what they have. And that's the way he begins in verses 6 through 9. He he is thankful for something that they have. And he expresses joy over that. Well, what's the background of this? What have we been looking at in 1 Thessalonians? Um, Just to remind you that Paul is writing because the situation in Thessalonica is tenuous at best. He had been there for one month. And he had to leave. He had to flee because of the persecution. Um, What's interesting is in Acts 17, you can actually read this. uh, There was a man named Jason who was arrested alongside of the apostles there uh, or with Paul and Timothy. Uh, He was arrested alongside of them. He was a believer there in Thessalonians or Thessalonica. Um, And what happened was they arrested Jason. And because Jason was a citizen of that city, they began to extort money from him. And they were basically taking money from him. As long as Paul and Timothy were there, they essentially told Jason that they would continually take his money. And so Paul and Timothy, in order to protect Jason, left uh, to hopefully make sure the persecution didn't continue. But, of course, when they left, it did. Um, The the Thessalonian Christians, again, they had an apostle with them for one month. They had been a Christian for less than a month. There had been Christians for less than a month. So what does that mean? They had very little teaching, very little discipleship. They also probably, more than likely, did not even have one copy of the Old Testament to read through to understand. I mean, get that picture in your mind. Put yourself in that place as a young Christian without even any kind of scripture to lean on or to to learn from. And you don't have a pastor that's over you. To teach you, and yet you are a young Christian. So uh, Paul had been worried about them. He sent Timothy to them to to check check out and see what was going on. Timothy comes back and he has this report. He says that it's actually good news. That's the same word that's used for the word gospel. That's what gospel means. It's good news. And, And so what Paul says is, Timothy brought the gospel to me that you are doing well. And all of these things that are, are happening for you. And, and what did they have? What Over this, this time, this six-month period where he had been separated from them, what happened? What did they have? They had two things. These young Christians, without access to the scriptures or a pastor, they had faith and love. Faith and love. And that's what he says in verse 6. He brought us the good news of your faith. And faith is always faith in something. It's not faith in nothing. It's faith in Jesus Christ that he's thankful for. And love. And love is always love toward something or someone. And their love is toward each other and toward God. He was thankful for their faith and their love. 
The report that he received from them is that these young Christians with very little resources in and through persecution and suffering were holding on to Christ. They were grasping on to Christ and they were continuing in their love. As a matter of fact, Paul calls it, he says they were standing fast. They were firmly planted, that they weren't being moved back and forth by the waves of suffering and persecution that were coming. Now, I want you to understand something. This is really important for us in 21st century Clinton, Louisiana, uh, in a Presbyterian church with all of the resources and everything that we have. Notice, Paul was not thankful for their knowledge. And he is not saying that they are standing fast because of how much they know. I think this is really important for us to understand. As young Christians, with very little information, they were still able to stand upon the the solid ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, They didn't have a lot of things given to them. They couldn't grow in their knowledge. They they actually, if they were to go out of their house and and probably go to attend an open Bible study, they would have been persecuted. They would have been arrested and they would have been um, uh, either, um, they would have been tortured or something like that. And so these were people, they didn't have a lot. And yet they had the things that really mattered, faith and love. They had a young faith, but it was a true faith. And again, this is important for us. Knowledge about Jesus, knowledge about or information about God and information about the scriptures, the trivia stuff that we know about the scriptures is not a replacement for knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is not a replacement for knowing Jesus. And I think that's a trap that we get in very often. That's a trap that I get in very often because I can spend all of my time filling up my mind with all this trivia about the Bible because that's my job. I'm supposed to study it. But it's an important thing, and this is why pastors burn out because we forget this so much. We forget it very often that as we say these things, knowledge about Jesus is not a replacement for a relationship with him. It's easy to have confidence in your knowledge about Jesus. Missing the more important thing. Uh, Here's how you know if you only have a knowledge about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. Knowledge about Jesus tends to do what the Bible says. It puffs us up. It makes us proud. It makes us arrogant. It looks like self-righteousness. It looks like us always looking down at other people because they don't know as much about us. Because they don't act like we act. Because they don't do the things that we do. That's what knowledge about Jesus does without having knowledge of Jesus or having a relationship with him. It makes us the opposite of these Thessalonians. Instead of having faith in Jesus, we have faith in ourselves. Instead of having love for God and others, we only love ourselves. That's how you know. So, what's the antidote antidote to that? What's the antidote to self-righteousness? to a lack of faith in Jesus and a lack of love for God and others. Well, know Jesus. And I'm not saying learn a lot about him. But read your scriptures, absolutely. Pour over the scriptures to see exactly how they point to him and say that he is the fulfillment of everything for us. It's not having all the correct answers to the test. It's not about how much you know. It's about who you know that matters. So that's the first thing. Paul has joy 
for what they have. What do they have? They have Jesus. Do you have Jesus? Secondly, um, in verses 9 and 10, Paul expresses a desire to give them something that they don't have. So first of all, he was thankful for what they have, and now he, he expresses a desire to give them what they don't have. And this is another really important thing for us. Because he's just built them up and he's, he's just said, look, you're doing great. You have faith and love and I'm very proud of you. But then he kind of slips this in. Um, it's, it's what we would call maybe a backhanded compliment. Like he kind of slips it in. He goes, I want to see you. I want to come back to you because you're missing something. The very end of verse uh, 10, he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Really see that kind of backhanded way of saying it? You have incredible faith, and yet you're still lacking something. And the point is, as these Christians, they need to know this, and we need to know this, that they have not yet arrived. They have not yet arrived. They have not attained to the fullness of the stature of Christ that they are intended to attain to. That is true of them, and it is also true of us. There are these movements that kind of pop up in Christian circles. Uh, and so you see this um, most prevalently and most, um, yeah, mo I think most visibly in Pentecostal circles you'll see this, where Pentecostals will, will teach something like the full gospel, they'll call it. And essentially what they say is that if you have received the second blessing from Christ, then you have received all that you need from him, and then you are a full Christian. You have the full gospel, but until that happens, you're lacking something. But once you receive it, then you've arrived as a Christian. And so you see that in some uh, Pentecostal circles, but it's not just in Pentecostal circles. It's also in Reformed Presbyterian circles. There's a movement called uh, a movement of what's known as the Preterist, and the Preterist believe that that Christ came in A.D. 70, that he has finally come, and we have everything that we need now, that A.D. 70, at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that, that all of that stuff that happened back then, that completed all of God's mission, and this is all there is, and we have arrived in our fullness. All right, so from the Reformed perspective, from the Pentecostal perspective, um, Paul reminds these people and us, we have not yet arrived. We still lack something. There's still room for us to grow as Christians. And I don't care if you are a young Christian that have only, you've only been a Christian for a month. I don't care if you're a Christian that if, if you've been a Christian for 80 years or so. It doesn't matter. You have not yet arrived. So what do they need? They need to grow. And that's what Paul's prayer is for. He prays that they would grow. And we'll see kind of how he prays for that in a moment. But what do they need? They need to... Grow in their knowledge. They need to grow in their understanding. They need to grow in their wisdom. Now, if you're paying attention, I'll just tell you, it's not about their knowledge. I just said, it's not about how much knowledge they have that matters, right? He is praising them because they have faith and love in spite of the, their, their lack of knowledge. But now he says, but that's not enough. You do need knowledge. You need to grow in your knowledge. You need to grow in your understanding and grow in your wisdom. And that's the way that it works. Your knowledge about Christ is meant to give you more understanding about who he is and why he came and what he did for you. And then your understanding is meant to lead to wisdom, the practical application of that in your daily life. That's the way it works. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom. Knowledge, understanding, 
wisdom. And they need to increase in that. Romans 12.2. I mean, if there's any Presbyterian verse, it's Romans 12.2. That what do we need? And Paul prays that we would be renewed in our mind. That the life of the Christian is a life of growth and renewal. Renewal where? Renewal in the mind. That's where the Christian life uh, is one of the places where the Christian life is lived. A growth of knowledge. Not knowledge for salvation, but knowledge for understanding and wisdom. And Paul says, unless you grow in your knowledge, unless your mind is renewed, then you will not grow. And having knowledge will lead, hopefully, Lord willing, to the practical application and to wisdom in how you live your life. So here's the second application. There's two points uh, in application for us here. Um, Two points for this. You have opportunities to grow in your knowledge of Christ. And you need to avail yourself of those opportunities. We live in the most amazing time uh, for, uh, for um, resources for understanding and knowing and growing in Christ. Um, you have more information uh, that you can stream to your phone and into your car and into your head um, from your phone... Uh, and it's an amazing thing. You have, um, it's mind-boggling to think about the kinds of information and the, and the things that are happening. I mean, they are taking old preachers that have been dead for hundreds of years and they're actually putting all of their old sermons, uh, they're digitizing those and, and you can get them read to you, these old incredible sermons from really smart guys. I mean, you're getting all that stuff. You can have all this stuff right to your phone. You, you need to, you need to, Make use of your phone for things other than Snapchat. I mean, and, um, and Facebook, if you're doing those things, right? Make use of your phone for that. But more importantly than that, you need to make use of the resource of the church. Because God did not say that he gave your phone to you to be the pillar and the buttress of truth, okay? He did not give you all of the technological resources so that you would grow as a Christian. You know what he gave to you? He gave the church. Paul says that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. So you need to make your, or avail yourself of the resources of the church. What are those resources? You have opportunities to be involved in Bible studies. You have opportunities to be involved not just in Bible studies, but in fellowship times. Um, and this is something, this is another way that you can use your phone. You can pick up your phone. And you can call your fellow church members and see how they're doing and fellowship with them and talk to them and do those things. That's how you grow. You have opportunities to grow, to have more knowledge about Christ, to hopefully be able to, to apply those things more. Um, and then there's, there's an encouragement in this. Um, an encouragement is this. I think we forget so often that Christianity is not about how much faith we have. It's not about the amount of faith that we have. Um, We get caught up on that so often. These young Christians are lauded because they have faith and love. And it's a small, tiny little faith. And Paul is overjoyed, not because they have this tremendous faith, but because they have faith. They have any faith. They have a little bit of faith. Um, When we were reading through earlier um, 
the, the Nicene Creed. How many of you have ever like reflected on the words that we're saying there, that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God? He's begotten, not made. Begotten, not made. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ is the begotten Son of the Father, but he has not been made? Have you ever just tried to get your, like, your tiny little brain to wrap your head around that one little thing that we say every other week? Well, these people would have had no concept of Jesus Christ as begotten, not made. And we say it all the time, okay? They had a tiny little faith. They didn't have the resource. They didn't have any of those things. And Paul is lauding them for that. And it's not about how much faith you have. You need to be encouraged by this. It's not about how big your faith is. But it's about the one in whom you have faith. It's about the one that you have placed your hope in. Have you placed your hope in yourself or have you placed your hope in Jesus Christ? Now, hopefully, Lord willing, as you grow, as you are sanctified, as you grow as a Christian, you will grow in your faith in Christ and you'll have a bigger faith. But it's not about how much faith you have that matters. It's about the one in whom you have faith. There's those two applications for you in that. Final thing in verses 11 through 13. Paul prays. He, he finally gets to kind of a supplication. He's been giving thanksgiving, and now he gives a supplication. He asks for things. I mean, think about this. Think about as you pray, what are the things that you ask for? Um, last night I was asking for sleep, that I could go to sleep after an incredible game. Um, right? I, that's what I prayed for. What does Paul pray for? Does he pray for sleep? Okay. No, he doesn't. He prays for three things here. Okay, there are three things that he prays for. Their first request that he prays for is that he, he said in verse 11, that the Lord would direct our way to you. He wants to go see the, the Thessalonian Christians again. He wants to see them. So that's the first prayer. We understand that. That's what he said over and over again. He says, I want to, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you. But then he tells you why he wants to go back. Okay, request two. He, he wants to go back so that the, he can help them. Um, increase and abound in love. That's what he says in verse 13. That the Lord may make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. That's his second request. That they would abound in love. Right? They already loved well, but, but Paul wants them to grow in their love for each other and for all. And then the third request is this. That they would grow and be established in holiness. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. So really, uh, first request that Paul would be able to make it to him so that he can teach them how to abound in love so that they can grow in their holiness and blamelessness. And really what Paul is doing is he's showing them and us what Paul really wants for us or what God really wants for us. Because God's design for you is not, um, God's design for you as a Christian is not to give you your best life now. It's not for that. God's design for you is not to decrease your suffering. God's design for you is to make you love more and to make you holy. That's God's goal. That's what he wants. He wants for you to be holy. Why? Why? Because God is holy. Hebrews 
uh, 12.4 says, and this is an important theological point, without holiness or without blamelessness, you will not see God. It is impossible for us to see God unless we're holy. And so the, God's end game for you and for me is to make us holy so that we will grow in holiness, to make us more like Christ. That's what God wants. That's why I pray every single week that we would grow to be more like Christ. That really needs to be the most important prayer that we pray, that we would grow into the fullness of the statue of Christ because all of us are being remade into his image. That's what it means to be made in the image of of God, to be holy, to be blameless, to be perfect. And he does that. How does he do it? He does it day by day, day by agonizing day. Day by day where we make use of the means of grace that he's given us. As we participate in the means of grace of the church. In the preaching of God's word. In the fellowship with the saints. In prayer. In the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And all of these things that God has given us for our growth. We become more like Christ. That is the work of the church. That's what we're here for. We're not here so that you get saved and you have your fire insurance and that's it. No, we're here so that you can be more like Christ. You have to be sanctified. So, um, how do you do that? What's the application? Um, You need to pursue relationships in the church. You need to pursue relationships in in, in the church and relationships to the end of being more holy. Um. In a moment, we're going to get in our cars, we're going to go home, we're going to do our things on a Sunday afternoon. We need to learn as a church and as individuals in the church to be more intentional about the way that we make relationships. Um, You know that verse that's quoted all the time, as iron sharpens iron? (laughs) You know, that's not a very pretty picture. Uh, Iron sharpening iron, making it more sharp. It's, It's kind of a picture of fire and sparks and rough stuff rubbing against each other. That's the picture of what it's like to be in the church. Because we're all sinners. And as we're in relationship with each other, as we're fellowshipping with each other, guess what we are? We are sharp edges of iron rubbing against each other, creating sparks and fire. And we would run away from that if it was not for God and his grace. And we need to pursue relationships in the church and be intentional about those things. And just a word of encouragement for you, you need to be evaluating whether or not you're growing as a Christian. Do you see the evidence of sanctification in your life? And I'm not saying, look back yesterday, are you improving um, from yesterday? Okay, Because yesterday might have been a bad day. But have you improved over the last five years? What were the sins that you were dealing with five years ago? What were the things that were besetting sins for you? Has God given you victory over those things? Are you growing in Christ? Five years, ten years, okay? Where do you see the growth? You need to evaluate yourself. And this is why other people are important. (laughs) Because you can't do that by yourself. You need someone else to speak into your life to tell you, I've noticed this. Over the years, you've gotten more kind, more gentle. You've begun, to exhibit, you've begun to exhibit more of the fruit of the Spirit. Because whenever you were younger, you were terrible. <laughs> it's helpful to have someone speak into your life that way. You need the church. Paul says, I want to come to, he says, I want to go to you. I want to teach you those things. I want you to see those things. 
because he understands that's the role of the church and that's what he's there for. So just in conclusion, I began by talking about what you're praying for. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for the people on your list that you pray for and the needs that they have, absolutely. Paul prays for those things too. But as you read through the letters, he's praying that God's people would increase in love and in holiness. My challenge to you would be go home and ask for the Lord to help you grow in your love and in your holiness. You know what's going to happen whenever you pray that way? God will answer that prayer. God is going to answer that prayer. And then the last thing, it's Thanksgiving time. Do you see what you have to be thankful for? Paul was thankful that these individuals, that, these, that this church had faith and love. Do you see what you have to be thankful for? I hope that you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this passage of Scripture. We pray that you would, uh, as we leave here today, that it would stick with us, that we would be challenged, uh, but also, Lord, that we would see even the gospel in this challenge, that you love us enough to give yourself for us in Christ, that you love us enough to not leave us where we are, but to save us from ourselves and to carry us all the way through to completion and holiness. I pray that we would be encouraged in that today. Uh, And I pray that we would see Christ more and more as we uh, seek to live our lives for him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.